How was the word of God heard by the people when it was first spoken? The time, the place, the political landscape, the struggles. And how does the word of God apply to this time, this place, this political landscape, our struggles? This is Michael Leasley in Context. Understand God's word and apply it to your life. In Context. Well, it's my delight, truly a privilege to have Dr. Woodrow Kroll on the broadcast today. In preparation for this broadcast, I was reading through, I stopped at 56 titles I think Dr. Kroll has written. I ordered a few of them online. And by the way, for those of you that have gone to Israel or have yet to go, I stumbled across a goldmine book I wish I'd had 20 trips ago called Places in the Bible. Explore 125 Cities villages and quote ordinary places and it's a simple short read on each area and with great scripture documentation so dr crow that's a cool book i wish i'd have written it (laughs) yeah it is it was one in a series that jay countryman did and we did a places in the bible events in the bible and people in the bible and they really are the kind of a little tiny tabletop book but a great thing to take with you on a trip. Exactly. Well, I'm doing a part two Israel tour because I've taken people so many times they want to do something different. So I'm developing a whole new set of sites I haven't been to. And so this is going to be a good jumping off place for me. I appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Woodrow Cole, for those of you that may not know about his ministry experience, he's, uh, you mind if I tell him how old you are? No, fine. Born in 1944, I'll let you do the math, and he looks in better shape than me at 63. So, But you were a pastor, you were a president, uh, you were at Walk Through the Bible for 20, how many years, Doc? Back to the Bible, 23 years. 23 uh-huh. years. And that's where many of us became familiar with Dr. Kroll with his uh, radio broadcast and uh, tremendous interest. The years I was in Chicago... I became enamored by your efforts to start a a biblical literacy program, trying to get people back into reading. And uh, since then, you've retired from Back to the Bible, and you've started a new ministry that we want to talk a little bit about. But let me just start with the question, Dr. Crowell. When you look back on the years you've been involved in local church broadcast ministry, what's happened to biblical literacy and, let's just say, Bible knowledge in general in the past three decades? Well, it's clearly gone down in the past three decades. In fact, it's been going down for about 50 years now. Uh, our grandparents knew much more about the Bible than we do today. And unfortunately, our grandchildren know far less than we do. Mm. And it's a problem. It really is. I am not an alarmist, but I do feel it necessary to sound an alarm because we Christians now, we just don't know the Bible the way we think we do. Can you point to some trends as to why this happened? Well, of course, we threw the Bible out of school back in 1963, and uh, ever since then, we have raised generations of young men and women without a moral compass, and uh, we can see that in the decisions that are being made today, the lifestyles that are being lived today. And as I say, this has been going on 50 years or so. Uh, there is no one center of, I hate to say blame, but the one center of uh, responsibility. Uh, we all belong responsible for our own illiteracy in the Bible, and certainly that of our families. And sometimes that's true as well of the church. Have you given any uh, 
thought or study to the technology and the devices we use, the handheld devices, which I love technology. I use a lot of it, a lot of it, uh, whether it's a cell phone or a tablet, a computer. Um, and we've had some other guests on the podcast talking about retention of information done via a phone, for example, versus an actual physical Bible. Have you done any observations, any study in that regard? Yeah, we have. When I was at Back to the Bible, I asked my board if we could begin an LLC, just an organization as an arm of Back to the Bible. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they were kind. They uh, said, sure. And uh, we began the Center for Bible Engagement, CBE. Professional from the University of Maryland who was involved in research there, and she began to do all the research that is done by this organization, CBE. One of the things we learned was that some of the old-time devices we use, some of the things we use to help us read the Bible, we weren't connecting with them in new generations. For example, uh, younger people have no need for a Bible reading plan because they're not going to read it plan or no plan. But one of the things we understood was that when people have a Bible in their hand and they're turning pages, there's just something about that paper, that book in their hands, that causes a greater retention. And that's an important thing. I'm not enamored so much with books. I love books. I've spent my whole life with books. But uh, it's the information a book communicates that's important. But there is a method of communication which has been tried and true for 2,000 years, and we're getting away from that method now with our modern tech, and as a result of that, we're just hastening our own Bible illiteracy as a result. One of my uh, children went through the NILD, the National Institute for Learning Disabilities, and it helped her remarkably with reading, with spelling, with retention. And a lot of that was what I would call kinesthetic. She had to write on a chalkboard at a certain rhythm and pace, and she had to recite things as she did it. And we watched her reading comprehension go from six months behind to six months ahead of her peer in about, I would say, four to five months. Now, it was arduous. It was not a, you know, it was about 90 minutes a day of homework for her. But um, that sort of sealed the deal for me. I write in my Bibles. I underline in my Bibles. I take notes in my Bible. And I don't know about the kinesthetics and the pressure and the writing and the neuroscience, but it just seems to me anecdotally, I love the tech. I use it all the time, but it's just interesting how, and I wonder, as you said, it's not one thing, but I wonder that that contributes somewhat. In our church, I would say if you're under... 45, you probably don't bring a Bible to church. You use a phone typically. So it's just an interesting observation. I'm like you. You know, I'm not a journaler. I do not have a journal. I do not keep a journal. And I'm I'm okay with that because my Bible's on my journal. Right. I have almost every Bible I have ever owned. Goodness. And it's interesting to me to go back to 1959, 1962, back when I was a teenager, I have Bibles there that I write notes. I can see the notes that I wrote in my Bible during those days. I look at it now and I say, well, duh, everybody knows that. (laughs) (laughs) That that is the record of my own spiritual journey Mm. from then until now. And uh, I wouldn't give those Bibles up for anything. (laughs) Well, see, I mark them up till they start falling apart. And then uh, I have one for each of my children. 
and uh, I've given one away already, and I've got one of my daughters who actually works with me, Hannah, uh, and I've got hers is, uh, I don't want to give it away yet, but she'll get that one. And then I've got, well, now I have grandchildren, Dr. Kroll, and it's like, oh, gosh, i got to keep writing. <laughs> it's a lot of work, as you know. <laughs> And the more grandchildren you have, the more work it Yeah, is. you got to keep writing notes in your Bibles. Give me three or four observations slash encouragement for people that perhaps don't read their Bible. You know, it, it feels like it's dry. It's boring. I don't want to do it. I don't have time. Um, I don't understand it. It's too hard. How would you, three, four, five encouragements for folks to um, pick it up, get their nose in a book, fall in love with the Scripture? Yeah, people all the time have asked me, uh, what's the best way to read my Bible? And uh, I say, well, why don't you start with the book of Genesis? Now, a lot of people say start with the Gospel of John. I understand that. But when you go to Barnes & Noble and you buy a book, you don't start on page 231. You start on page 1. And I think there's benefit to reading the Bible chronologically, to getting a foundation for who God is and what he has done, and therefore what he has done in our lives. And it's important to remember that the Bible doesn't take all that much time to read. You know, probably uh, 20 years ago now, I wrote a book called Reading Your Bible One Book at a Time. And my theory was that when you read chapter 1 and you skip chapter 2, you go on to another book, you're not getting the full story of what that writer wanted you to understand. So when Paul wrote to the Philippians, for example, he did not write chapter 1 for us to read today, chapter 2 tomorrow. It was a letter. You read the whole letter. But in order to to do this, I had to know how much time it took to read every book in the Bible. So for several months, I had a stopwatch, and every time I'd be on an airplane, I would take that watch with me, and I would, uh, you know, click it on when I started reading, and if I was interrupted or the flight attendant came by and asked a question, I'd click it off, and it was amazing. In fact, one time I was flying back from Frankfurt, Germany, to Chicago. I won't say what airline it was on, but uh, these people are united in everything they do, and... um, Flight attendant, I had kind of bantered back and forth, which is part of my lifestyle, I guess. I'd bantered back and forth with her before, and she stopped dead in the aisle, and she saw this stopwatch, and she seriously asked me, she said, are you timing our service? (laughs) I laughed, and I said, no, 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 no. And she said, well, what are you doing? And I'm timing how long it takes me to read a book in the Bible. And she gave me this odd look and said, why would you do that? And my response was, because everybody tells me they would read their Bible, but they don't have time. I want to know how much time it takes. Mm. And, you know, you can read 26 books of the Bible in less than 30 minutes. Goodness. 21 of them in less than 15 minutes. I mean, five of them have only 25 verses or less. Mm -hmm. Such a big task. We, We put this ahead of us, and we say, this is awful. I mean, it's such a big book. I can't understand it. You know, I... I started in Genesis, and I got to chapter 11, and there were all those names and things. And and so I skipped to the New Testament, and Matthew chapter 1 wasn't any better. We have all kinds of excuses, no reasons, all kinds of excuses why we can't read our Bible. But I have to tell you, um, God only wrote one book. 
and I think he'd be pleased to have us read it. And I'm wondering what we all will say to him at the judgment seat of Christ, should he ask us, did you read my book? I mean, ever once in your life did you read the only book I ever wrote? Mm. That's going to be a tricky question to answer if we're a little lackadaisical about how we approach God's Word Mm -hmm. today. I know you have many friends that are authors, yourself included, but many friends that are prolific writers, as do I. And I often ask them, how many people who buy your book do you think actually read the entire text? Uh, when I was at Moody and at their Zenith, they were producing north of 160 books a year. And then we, wow. we began scaling that and focusing a little bit more on discipleship and biblical content versus fiction, which is nothing wrong with fiction, but we were trying to improve our target, if you will. And I had that question to our vice president of publishing, to authors, and no one ever, you know, really had a good answer. And um, I don't know what studies would demonstrate it, but I know in my experience, a lot of books I start and never finish. I look across the gambit, you and I are probably one percenters in the amount of literature we read, yet when we go down the scale, the average folks in the church who love God they love their marriage, their family, their kids are trying to be, you know, faithful followers of Christ, good Christians, if you want to say it that way. But they have trouble reading. Yep, that's true. And especially the Bible, because it's, you know, Satan puts it up as such an obstacle, you might as well just give up now. And mm. that's just not true. Besides, there are things that we learn about in God's Word that we would never know otherwise. And, you know, you don't know much about God's love unless you read about his love, uh, especially in Romans and John. And as a result of that, there are people robbing themselves of great things, great information, great inspiration, great encouragement, simply because they think the Bible is too difficult to read. Everybody, you know, just give it a try. Just give it a try. Stick with it for 30 days. See what happens. And usually at the end of 30 days, they want another 30 days. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a good thing. When you look across the landscape, and you've been in pulpits across America endlessly, and uh, some churches are still you know, staying faithful to teaching the Word, expository and preaching is rare but not gone. Um, one of my concerns with some of the, and I don't like the labels, but the seeker kind of orientations, the how-to messages, there's certainly a place for that. But it just strikes me, you have 30 to 45 minutes a week to teach God's people something. Are you going to talk about a trend, uh, ismonology, the Enneagram, uh, voting, whatever, which are important things to think about? Or are you going to open God's text and say, this is what the eternally existent God has told you and me. How do we keep our nose in it? How do we keep studying? So I'm asking, forgive the long wording, um, how do you encourage the pastor, maybe a younger pastor, maybe a pastor that doesn't have training who might be exposed to your conversation, how do you help them say, look, start teaching through a book, and this is what you might find, what you might do, how you might approach it? Yeah, uh, let's face it. We really need to pray for pastors today because the pressure on a pastor is almost insurmountable. Mm -hmm. Many local churches, in many local churches, the pastor has been forced to become uh, something of an entertainer of the church. You know, because he's in a mega church, he's got uh, 1,200 or 2,000 people, but less than a mile away down the road, there's another mega church. And if their music is better or if the entertainment is better, 
we Christians are so naive, we're so um, immature in many ways, that he has to become an equal entertainer to the pastor down the road, or he's going to lose a lot of his sheep, two, three hundred a week, and he can't afford to do that. And the problem is when dumbed-down people in the church get more meringue and less meat, you know, they, they become even more dumbed down. And when they get less uh, this week, they're going to want less next week. So pastors face a real dilemma, and I think your suggestion is a great one. Uh, take a book that's easy to understand, filled with uh, good, solid truth, and, um, you know, maybe do an overview of it. Take uh, six weeks or uh, a month or two. I have a friend, pastor, who <laughs> used to brag to me about the fact he spent six months in John 1-1, one, one, one verse, you know. That's probably overkill. So uh, <laughs> if you're going to do John, go through all the, one chapter a week, two chapters a week. But get people into the Word, not into your take on the Word or into what they've read about the Word. Mm-hmm. I try to encourage especially I don't have that many, but the handful who will come and ask an opinion, I said, look, you need to learn to trust God at his word, not what you can do as a preacher, communicator, entertainer, flash paper, and trust that the spirit will use his word if you teach it clearly, simply, accurately. And uh, we can illustrate, you can be, you know, enthusiastic, etc. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't use it, it really doesn't matter um, and I think that's just hard. You're right. The competition is severe. And, you know, social media has opened up a Pandora's box of all sorts of crazy stuff. That, and you don't want to be an apologetic in the pulpit and get in there and say what's well, wrong with XYZ Church. But, okay, I'm off in the weeds. Let's change gears a bit and talk about Helios. You, uh, post-retirement, which as Dr. Howard Hendricks said, you may retire from a job, but you never retire from life. And so Dr. Woodrow Kroll has not retired from life. You began an ambitious project. Tell us about Helios. Well, uh, Helios is the Greek word for sun. And uh, when I was with Back to the Bible, uh, we literally broadcast all over the world. About 50% of the world's population could tune in. I don't say they did, but they could tune in and hear me every day. As a result, uh, I traveled heavily during those years because um, I wanted to have a rally or a church meeting or something for people in India and people in other parts of the world that heard the broadcast just like they heard it here in the U.S. And so I was in 112 countries during those years, all seven continents. And, um, you know, everywhere I would go, I would run into pastors who were doing the best they could with what they had to work with. The problem was they had nothing to work with. Ninety-five percent of the pastors in this world, church leaders, uh, good men, 95 percent of them have had no formal Bible training or theological training. None. None at all. In fact, I was in China teaching uh, to a group of Chinese pastors and One of them came up to me, and in his uh, best English, he was trying to describe his ministry to me. And I said, where do you live? And he says, well, he's in the hinterland. He's in the mountains of China, away from everything. No electricity, no communication, no Internet, nothing like that. And uh, I said to him, well, tell me about your background. He said, well, I'm a president of a Bible college there. And I said, well, good for you. What's your formal training that you became president? And 
He said, well, I have no formal training. All I have is what I heard in Sunday school as a boy. Mm. And with his Sunday school knowledge of God's Word, he is the president of a college training pastors in China. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said to God uh, when I was with Back to the Bible, I said, Lord, if I am ever in a position to give what you've given to me, he has been so good to me. I have 55-plus years of study and insight into God's Word and the equal number of years in teaching it to others. I said, Lord, you've been so good to me. I want to give what you've given to me to all these untrained pastors in economically challenged countries. So I made a promise that if I was ever in a position to do that, I would. Well, I retired from back to the Bible. We have a uh, retirement age there that a person steps down. And so I did. And I was retired probably four or five days before God reminded me of that promise. Hmm. You know, he's really good at that. (laughs) So I said, okay, Lord, I will give what you've given to me, but how do I do it? You know, the technology is what I didn't have. And uh, I was at my last NRB meeting in Nashville, out on the floor where all the vendors are, and someone called my name and I wandered over to their booth, and um, they were from a company in Israel called Megavoice, and they make a little device that is solar-powered, which is where we got the name Helios for this device, solar-powered. And uh, I said, what do you do with this device? It's smaller than your cell phone, tiny, tiny little device. And he said, well, uh, we put the whole Bible on it, Old Testament and New Testament, and any one of uh, 119 languages. So inquisitive me, I asked, well, is there any memory, any space left on the device after the whole Bible's on? He said, yes, 240 hours worth. And I'm thinking, well, there it is. I put my teaching on that device, and we distribute it to pastors who are untrained all over the world. We've been doing that now for about three years. We have a little more than uh, 10,000 of these devices Wow. In the hands of pastors in Cuba alone, uh, with the permission of the government, uh, no less. And so basically what we're doing is I am teaching. These are not classroom lectures. I developed all these from scratch, went into a local studio, and uh, we have two programs. One of them is called Talking Through the Christian Faith, and it's just it's Bible doctrine, essentially. And there are 200 sessions, each one about 20 to 22 minutes long. Each session is um, very conversational. I position myself as a friend sitting across an imaginary table talking to my friend, who is the user in this case. And they're very, very, uh, if I may say so, they're very well done. They're very easy to listen to because they are a conversation. They're not a lecture. And then the second program is, you know, most of the world learns the Bible through stories not through lectures, as we in the West do. And I thought, okay, why don't I retell the stories of the Bible? (laughs) And so on one ambitious day, I identified 472 stories in the Bible. And in the second program, I retell those stories, drawing insights from them and practical applications from them. So people get to know God and His Word through the stories of God and His Word. And it's been just a delight. Uh, God has blessed it so much, the ministry. After about three years as the um, president of our new organization and chairman of the board, 
I began to have some physical uh, difficulties. I had a uh, left hip replaced in 2018, and two weeks later I fell. Mm. And I had to have it replaced again in 2018. There were two Friday the 13th mm. in 2018, mm. and I hit both of them for my surgery. <laughs> so you know, it, was, it was a tough year, and I said to my board, you know, I really can't travel much anymore. Uh, life is changing for me as <laughs> I'm aging. And so we looked for um, someone to take my place, got some resumes from people we would think would do a great job. And one of them, they asked my son, Tim, who was a pastor in St. Petersburg, Florida, had been at the church 13 years. And uh, I said, well, we can get a resume from him, but I don't think he's going to leave the church. And we did. And sure enough, God worked him over. And uh, when the board interviewed him, they said, that's it. Um, we don't need to interview anyone else. I wasn't part of that discussion, but uh, they called me and told me that uh, they want to hire Tim. And he's been our president for two years now. He is technically advanced a millennia over me sure. and doing just a great job. So I've done the teaching He's doing the distribution and all the tech things, and uh, boy, it's worked out so well. God has just uh, provided this as a way to get a Bible and Christian faith education right in the hands of untrained pastors who will never, ever be able to afford an education or leave home, Mm -hmm. leave their job to go to a Bible college or seminary somewhere. So it's been a gift from God in my old age. (laughs) We have in the show notes information about the Helios Project and how you can purchase a unit. It's $180, I believe, for the unit, uh, which includes all the text as well as all of Dr. Kroll's teaching conversations. Uh, And so you can link below or you can use your own search engine and just put Helios Project and you will find the landing page. Talk to me a little bit about, and this is one thing, I've got numbers in my head, but they may not be current. I often use the number that about 3% of the global population speaks English as a primary language. And um, when you look at India and China alone, how many you know billions of people, and they have, as you've articulated, no access to anything you and I are talking about, um, so are you talking about language delivery systems and other languages as well with the Helios Project? Yes. Uh, immediately, I recognize that not only here in the U.S., but around the world, while English may be um, the most spoken language in the trade world, Spanish is most spoken by people outside of uh, Mandarin Chinese. And uh, so we did a translation in Spanish. It's interesting how God brought translators to me just dropped them out of the sky. I had a friend in Quito, Ecuador, who uh, was operating our Back to the Bible office there, and I asked him, I said, would you be willing to do this project in Spanish? Well, he just jumped at the chance. And when it came to Russian, uh, I have a friend who was a missionary pilot in far eastern Russia. He would fly from Alaska across the Bering Sea to Russia, And uh, I was giving a testimony one day or teaching session at a college, and they asked me about the Helios Project. So I took two minutes, and I talked about it. This guy came up to me afterwards, and he said, you have to come and bring that to Russia right now. (laughs) Wayne, you've got to understand, first of all, I have to find a translator. I have to raise the funds 
to do a translation. That's about 185000 per translation. I said, we have to find a delivery system. There are lots of things have to be done before yes. I can take it to Russia. And he said, I have your translator for you. And he put me on to a friend of his while he was a missionary in Russia who was at Trinity, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, finishing his Ph.D., and so I contacted him. Sure enough, uh, he said, yeah, I'll be happy to do it in Russian. And uh, I found out later on he was on a scholarship that somehow petered out. Something happened in the mechanism, the paperwork. And uh, so he had no income at all. And what we were paying him to do this translation was what he and his family were living on. So, you know, God has worked this several ways. We have Spanish, we have Russian, we have Creole, we have Afrikaans, we have Swahili, we have Mandarin, Thai, yes, it's in 11 languages right now. Uh, we are currently working on Hindi and Bengali and uh, also working on French because a lot of Africa speaks French. And so God just keeps opening the doors for us to uh, have more and more people be able to receive this teaching in their own heart mm-hmm. language uh, for next to nothing. I mean, it's all the things we sent delivered. Uh, you know, I've been to Cuba three times just delivering these devices. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Cuban government is clearly communist and uh, clearly has a problem with the church. But we got permission from the Ministry of Affairs there to deliberately deliver these to pastors. And so they gave us free reign to go anywhere and give it to anyone. And, you know, we have a system, it's a banking system that is a breadbasket. That is to say, uh, let's take Thai, for example. Whatever it costs you to feed your family for one month, we take that amount and we use it as a ratio to what it costs us to feed our families for one month here in the U.S. And so that $180, uh, which is like going to college for two full classes for $180. I mean, that's crazy. But that $180 in Thai is about $21 Mm. because they can't afford $180. So, you know, we make up the difference by our donors and uh, those who invest in the project. And uh, so now we're headed to new languages all the time, making it available to people for a cost they can, in fact, afford. And they've, you know, we've demonstrated this through uh, countless exercises with devices and technology and resources. If people don't have some skin in the game, it's not worth anything to them. And exactly. uh, even if it's a modest price, you know, uh, let me end this conversation with two questions, uh, Dr. Kroll. One, what do you say, and we talked about this briefly, but just to give us a landing, what do you say to the pastor who's maybe more into experiential theology, maybe, and I won't say entertaining, but he's trying to engage his people, and he's really not rooted and grounded. It's too hard to study the Bible. Uh, Give him a little encouragement. Well, I think what happens to our people when we choose to be more familiar to the people than thus saith the Lord, when we choose to be a helpful person to them, not only does it dumb down the church, but it also robs us of the answers to life's key questions, you know. I mean, when I was growing up, people would say the Bible has the answer to every question. Well, you know, I would raise my hand and say, what is the square root of 13? I was waiting for the Bible to answer that. You know? <laughs> but if you have questions about the family, 
uh, about what God considers a family, about what kind of family God smiles upon and blesses, you're going to find those answers in the Bible. And if you have questions about uh, the presence of evil in the world, you know, uh, even if your own life and experience, uh, you'll find the answers to that in the Bible. If you have questions about the future, your destiny, heaven or hell, all those are answers found in the Bible. They are not experiential answers. They are solid, concrete, thus that the Lord kinds of answers. And people need uh, better answers than, well, I think, or I suppose, or it's been my experience. See, those are not good answers for people who really have hard questions. But when the Bible says, hey, this is what you do. Here's what the Lord said. Thus saith the Lord. That gives an answer that cannot be matched by anyone's experience. Mm, good. And then to uh, tandem on that, uh, the man or woman who's, you know, again, they love going to church. I mean, COVID is a complication we're in, but they, they love their group, their friends, uh, you know, First Baptist, First Presbyterian, Bible Church, XYZ, but they don't read it, you know, past Sunday morning when the pastor might be opening it. Well, I have a kind of a crazy suggestion, uh, and your listeners are going to hear this and say, this guy is nuts. Um my suggestion for people, for Christians, is to tithe your free time to God every day. Now, here's what I mean by that. You know, we're familiar with tithing. Give 10% off the top to God. And when you mention tithing, people automatically think about money. And that's true. But you have to ask yourself, why do some people get more things done than other people? And they each have the same amount of time. You know, if every day has 24 hours, that means every day has 1,440 minutes. Now, if you subtract eight hours daily for sleeping and eight hours daily for work, that leaves you with approximately eight hours free each day or 480 minutes. Now, just watch the math here. If you tie just your free time, not the whole day, just 10% of the time you have out of that 480 minutes that's free, 10% of that would be 48 minutes. That's less than one reality program on TV, and it's much more profitable for you. So uh, my suggestion is get the two-minute devotional. Get serious about stamping out personal Bible literacy in your life. And instead of just tithing your money, that's something you need to do, but more than that, instead of that, tithe your time. Say to God, okay, I'm going to give you 48 minutes a day. Now, what you do in that 48 minutes is between God and you. If you want to read the whole time, that's great. If you want to read and pray, that's great. You know, uh, when I was young, um, growing up college and seminary years, I used to go to God. I spent an hour a day with God. That was my life habit, uh, first thing in the morning. And I would spend half my time reading his word and half my time praying. But I noticed that I wasn't really absorbing the Word. I was reading it, but not taking it in, making it part of my life. So then I divided my hour in thirds. I spent a third of the time reading, a third of the time praying, and a third of the time doing nothing, just sitting there thinking about mm. what I had read and what that might mean in my life, how it might change my day, how my intimacy with God would be enhanced just by what I read in His Word. And, you know, uh, doing that got me uh, into an intimate relationship with God and His Word I never had before. And I grew up in a Christian home, so, you know, that's really saying something. Mm -hmm. 
My suggestion to people is just try something. Uh, you know, if it doesn't work, try something else. Right. Don't give up on God because he has not given up on you. Dr. Woodrow Kroll, pastor, teacher, college president, uh, president of Walk to the Bible Ministries for 23 years now in uh, this chapter of life, uh, president and founder and turning the reins over to Timothy of Helios, a project that Again, we'll have in the show notes you need to take a look at, and you might have friends from other, I mean, we have so many international folks in the States these days. This would be a great way to introduce them and their family members in their home countries to a great product for Bible teachers, for pastors with no training, and for late key lay men and women who want a great resource at a very affordable price. Dr. Kroll, thanks for your time. And on In Context, God bless you in this chapter. And I'm just, I don't want to sound condescending, but I'm proud of you, if you know what that means. I'm proud that you're pressing on, and it gives guys like me in our 60s and 70s that you keep going, keep letting God use you, because um, that's what it's about, right? It is what it's about, and thank you very much. It's been my pleasure to be with you. Michael Easley in Context is fully funded by our listeners. If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation to support our ministry? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is edited, mixed, and mastered by Tim Hull, produced by Hannah Seymour, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.